Good evening, this is Pastor A.J. Gilbert Sr. coming to you from On The Wall e Ministries here in Alta Vista, Virginia. We're coming to you on this Friday evening at our On The Wall e Ministries Bible Institute. We thank God for you joining us on this evening for our classes. We've been studying uh, the Gospels, Possessions, and Prosperity. Uh, we've been looking at the Old Testament to try to look at how the Old Testament looks at uh, uh, the gospel, prosperity, and possessions, and then we're looking at the New Testament. We've been covering uh, the New Testament, how it looks at uh, possessions and prosperity, but now we're going to look at, uh, we started last week looking at uh, Paul's writings, how Paul uh, wrote uh, concerning uh, the gospel and how we should put our attention on spreading the gospel throughout the world. Everything else, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and everything else will be added. God will give us all that we need if we put our focus on him first. So we're going to get into our study tonight about uh, those uh, prosperity gospels, debunking some of the things that we've been uh, taught and been seeing in the past about uh, church. And uh, we said last week, and I think uh, we're probably going to try to rehash that tonight again, and that uh, salvation is not a means of us getting rich. Uh, salvation is not a means of us getting rich. It's about saving souls and bringing people to Christ, introducing them uh, to a loving Savior. We need to be in letting people know about their soul salvation, not about how they will gain prosperity and gain things in the world today. So we'll, we'll look at uh, Paul to study uh, uh, tonight, his writings, and how they reflect and how we should glean and learn from them. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for this evening. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless right now those that are tuning in to our study. Uh, we ask your blessings upon the instructor, the teacher. Touch my lips that I might boldly say those things that you have laid upon my heart, that you have opened up in your scriptures, that we might reveal now to your people. Lord, we thank you. We thank for, for this class, Lord. Uh, the Secret Church, the Radical Church. We thank you for those classes that uh, they've supplied us with the materials. But let us, O oh Heavenly Father, allow those materials to speak to our heart that we might learn more about thee to be able to go out into the world to alleviate suffering but the spreading of the gospel. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Here the gospels, prosperity, and possessions in relationship to the New Testament. What does the New Testament tell us about uh, uh, the possessions and prosperity? We started last week talking about Paul's writing, and then Paul, as we studied last week, Paul, before he became a Christian, he was sitting under the seat of Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was members of the uh, Pharisee uh, sect there in Jerusalem set up under great teachers. He was afforded to go to schools that would give him the proper training. So uh, Paul said that before Christ, I, I, I lived in prosperity. He lived in prosperity. He means that, you know, he had the highest education. He had the great family. He had uh, all the things that would give him the opportunity. But Paul said that after he received Christ, that's when he started experiencing suffering. So everything changed for him. Paul went from uh, having a great education, sitting in a great position. Uh, he, he persecuted the earlier church, and, and he, he was sitting 
under the seat of great instructor. But then after he accepted Christ, he became stoned. He was beaten with rods. He uh, had 40 lashes at him, minus one. He was in danger and lost at sea, shipwrecked. He was danger from all of the false teachings and danger from all the false prophets, danger in the wilderness. Uh, he was danger of his own people. He was in danger of Gentiles, of, of preaching and teaching. And then he was in danger. But before Christ, he lived a prosperous life. But after Christ, he started experiencing suffering. So let's look at Galatians. We talked a little about last week. Out of Galatians, he says, remember the poor. Paul is telling us that we should take our blessings that God has given us so let us be able to alleviate some of the suffering among the poor. So as a believer, our duty is to remember the poor. We're, uh, we're going to look at that. And Paul mentions that amidst all of the theological controversy, which was Paul addressing in the Galatians uh, to the church there, there was no debate about him concerning us having uh, being able to help the poor. You get into Galatians 6 chapter and verses 1 through 10, and, and some people believe that this whole passage is reflecting things about possessions, but we don't know exactly about it, but he's telling us there are four enemies that we have to experience uh, in the spiritual community, and that's self-centeredness, those enemies that come against us, pride, basically. Then we have self-righteousness, uh, which is uh, self-esteem. Then always concerned uh, about others, allowing on our own self-sufficiency and self-esteem. All of those things brings us away from Christ. He said those are the four enemies of uh, the spiritual community, self-centeredness. Uh, self-righteousness, and then self-sufficiency and self-esteem. He said, but out of that, uh, what Paul gives us is five essentials that we can have to combat uh, those uh, 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 feelings of self-centeredness uh, and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness that we have. He said, confront one another with their sin. When we have a community of believers, it's our duty to confront one another when we're going through struggles with sin in our life. He said, confront one another. Then you'll be able to, uh, to bring and to restore that individual back. Then comfort one another. After we uh, confront one another in that sin, you have to be able to, to comfort that individual and help him to realize that God's mercy is still there. Then comfort one another in our struggles and as we go through. Then share our generosity that God blesses us with. Uh, he uses the word koinonia, uh, which is uh, referencing uh, to, to, uh, uh, to us to use in the New Testament by sharing with one another. Uh, that is the relationship that we should have, to share with one another. Then we should be able to sow the resources that God has blessed us with so that it can be able to reap other benefits. Then sow the resources eternally, and then we'll be able to reap things wisely. Then he said, spread your resources selfishly. So 
God wanted able to spend or to spread our resources after he's blessed us so that we can be able to be a blessing to somebody else. And I think the scripture says, especially to those that are in the household of faith, those that are in our church community, we're supposed to be sharing with one another, those that are poor, those that are not as uh, uh, um, blessed as we are, we are to be able to share with those that are going through. First and second Thessalonians, there are a lot of people in Thessalonica that were not working and they were taking the time uh, thinking about the second coming of Jesus and then, and then some of them had quit their jobs thinking that Christ was going to come back right then. He said that's why he wrote that letter. He says that he'll come quickly like a thief in the night and they truly believed that he was going to come back quickly. So they had quit their jobs instead of uh, doing the work that God had told them to do. So he writes this letter saying get a job, First and Second Thessalonians. What Paul was saying to them to avoid being idle. God does not like idle people. Avoid idle. And then avoid idle people. Don't uh, make your relationship with people that are not uh, doing uh, positive things. If you're dealing with people that are idle and lazy, eventually some of those things will eventually rub off on you. So he said, avoid people who aren't working, who are not uh, positive and doing active things, sitting around doing nothing. Avoid those type of people and then work for your possessions and allow your possessions to work for you. Get a job. There's always other things that, that you can consider to do rather than just sit and wait. Work and find something to do so that you can be able to let your possessions work for you. Work for your possessions, but allow your possessions to work for you. First Corinthians, he says that uh, this trouble-filled church that was filled with immorality and everything else. So Paul is addressing their church, trying to get them to understand, even though in their prosperity, they need to deal with their moral issues within the body of Christ. Discipline had gotten out of the way. So Paul says that I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of the brother. He is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. The church must discipline in situations of sexual immorality, and the church must discipline in situations of material greed. So you cannot have a body of believers that are users, but we need people that are sharers, sharing in the body of Christ. That profound, and what does that look like? The Christian must repent, and he must be cast out of the church. That's the that's the, what the church says. But we, if we will repent, he will not be cast out. Repent and miss out on the kingdom of God. That is serious stuff that we get inside of a church that has no discipline and people are dealing with immorality and dealing with greed. That hurts the whole body. So you get to 1 Corinthians 9 is where Paul talks about whether or not the leaders should be paid or whether they do the work that they do in church. So all of us should understand that leaders should sow blessings into the church so that they can reap blessings. Don't just uh, end up uh, taking away from everything. God didn't make us to pull everything away from the body of Christ. Just as we sow, he says, so shall you reap. So God is looking for us to sow in. And, and then uh, Paul yielded his privileges many times. He said rather than taking pay, he did it so that he could be able to be more productive in his ministry. Sometimes people get allow money to 
divide them and separate them. But you got to understand, money is affects everything. Every area of society uh, deals with money, and church is no different. But we have to be different when we apply the principles of understanding with money in the church. Paul wanted uh, to be above reproach. And when he did not take pay, he wanted to be uh, no uh, excuses when it comes to him preaching and teaching to his body. Then you get to 1 Corinthians 11, and you got to go all the way back to that passage in light of the ramifications that he has for possession because uh, it was happening to the rich people that were coming and gathering in the church, and they were getting drunk. Here he's telling them about how to deal with a holy communion. He said, when they come together with holy communion, he said, you know, don't let them eat too much or don't let them drink too much. They were... Uh, uh, dealing with gluttony, they were dealing with drunkenness. So he said that when you come together, you have to have yourself under discipline control. He said, taking the Lord's Supper uh, or not having their body under subjection will cause them. He said, because of this, many are sick and many of you die. So he said, because uh, Holy Communion. You can't be greedy, you can't be uh, glutton, you can't be uh, immoral. You have to repent and come to God and present yourself before him. And then you can partake. He said, don't take it grudgingly, don't take it unworthily, but come to God and say, I have sinned, I've come short. Then you can be able to partake. So repentance is always there. He said that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, ignoring the poor, ignoring the needs of everybody else, you are taking your drink in judgment. He said, you're taking it at your own risk. And that's huge when you consider that we are showing concern for the needy before we take the Lord's Supper. How can we take the Lord's Supper and ignore the needs of those in our communities that are not as blessed as we are? Look at 1 Corinthians 13. He said, How if I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned, he says that without love I have nothing apart from Christ's love Giving away everything you have is meaningless. He didn't tell you to not to give, but he says have the right motives, have the right mindset. You got to have the right purpose in mind when you're giving. Uh, so we got to give. So in 1 Corinthians 16th chapter, uh, he flips it and tells them to take up a weekly offering. Take up a weekly offering so that he can be able to help other churches, communities that are going through. Like we said earlier, we are in a community. We are in a community of believers. And it's our duty to look out for the needs of others. Those that are poorer than we are, we to be able to lift them up. You know, even those that are rich, we're supposed to have enough love in our heart. I was looking at a thing on Facebook today. What do you deal with? How do you deal with people that are living in sin in your family. We have to have the love of Christ in our heart. The love of Christ is will cover a what? A multitude of sin. So we have to have that type of love in our hearts in order for people to have and for us to get the benefits of our giving. You can't give unless you have the love of God in your heart or you can't reap this harvest of your giving if your motives are not right. 
So Paul in 2 Corinthians, in that 6th chapter, uh, he's getting into on this talking about uh, poverty and offering the gospel free of charge and some of the same things that we saw in 1 Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is really where we want to get our focus on. You see the key there in 8 and 9. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, though he was rich, he yet for our sake he became poor so that we that are in poverty might be rich. So we got to understand Christ became poor so that you and I can be rich. So our duty is to emulate what Christ did. Our duty is to make ourselves a, a sacrifice so that we can be able to help alleviate suffering to somebody else. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 9 and then in 9, 6 and, and, and 15, uh, Paul here is telling the church there, to, to, to give to those other churches that are needed using Macedonia, which was a very poor church, as an example. He was telling the churches there that if, what, Corinthian church there, or the church at Thessalonica, either one, first, uh, uh, first and second Corinthians, he was writing to them, trying to get them to understand it was their duty to be able to help those that are in need. So if the churches that are in uh, Macedonia, as poor as they were, to help somebody else, at least the churches in Corinth who, who were bathing in their, 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 their riches, and they could always so help somebody that was going through. So he's telling them that God demands us to be generous givers. He results in greater giving from God. But the more we give, the more God gives back to us. He said, press down, chicken together, running over. God will give unto us. And even he said, those enemies will be pouring into our bosom when we give back unto him. So we are free by God to give. God does not hold us down that we can give. We give as a demonstration of the love that he had for us by giving us Jesus Christ. So that's what the whole point of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is. Christ does it for us. We're demonstrating the love that Christ had for us by us giving. We sacrifice our rights so that others can have a better life. And just as he sacrificed his rights to give us eternal life, he became poor so that you and I could be rich. Now, how are we rich? We are rich because now we are sons of God. Everything that God has belongs to us. So we are sons of God. So we became rich. We spend our resources on others just as he spent his resources on us. He has given us his riches. Now, so we give others the blessings that he's blessed us with. We spend our resources on others that God has blessed us with so bountifully. Then we give to promote thanksgiving to God. Our giving promotes great thanksgiving. In 9 chapter of that same, uh, uh, in verses 12, he said, giving unites the people of God. The picture of the unity. Unity is giving uh, this by offering one another to give. The more we give to one another, somehow it brings unity. When I know that I can depend on you and you can depend on me, that brings unity into a body of believers. And we give regularly to the church. So this is the picture we see. There is a weekly offering, especially in 1 Corinthians 16, that you see that the church was dealing with the responsibility with this gift that, that 
uh, Paul had encouraged them to give. Uh, this is really a reference to 2 Corinthians 8, 20 and 21, where we see the integrity which the gift was being handled by Paul. Paul was telling them they need to be careful. Don't have any gathering when I come. Then giving exalts the goodness of God. And, 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 and Paul closes out and says, your giving overflows in praise and thanksgiving to God. See, that's right there is one of the most pivotal things that we need to understand. Most important, significant text on giving is that when we give, it flows from the grace of God that he has provided for us. So we need to be cheerful givers as well. So as we look at the book of Romans, Paul, Paul jumps down into the book of Romans. And when we look at Romans, um, uh, just um, a few miscellaneous things that we need to touch. We give generously inside of the body of Christ. Therefore, the book of Romans, Romans 12 and 8, is telling us about giving to one another in the community of faith. And then we give what? selfishly outside of the body of Christ. So we give generously in the body of Christ, but we give selfishly outside of the body of Christ. So we got to help in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and what? Into the uttermost parts of the world. So our generosity must go internally, but also outside. We got to take care of Jerusalem, but we also have to take care of the Samarias, our enemies, those who are not. Uh, it's friendly to us. He said that if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. And that's Romans 12. And then in Romans 13, he said, give willingly even to the government. Pay your taxes. You know, do the work that you have to do. Submit to the authority that you are under. Somehow, we have to be obedient to the word of God even when we have to do things for our government, paying taxes is part of our duty and our Christian task for each of us to submit to God and to submit to the government that we're under. That's what God tells us. So we give willingly even to government, and we are cautious even with that. Uh, Romans 13 and 8 said, Oh, no man anything except love each other. And from that one who loves another has fulfilled the law. See, most commentators don't believe that an absolute forbiddance of any debt. No, you can't have no debt. But these guys are telling us to not to get into over debt where you put a financial strain on your family, put a financial strain on your giving. See, you can't have debt and give the way God wants you to give. Over excessive debt limits your giving because somehow we put the need to pay the debt over the need to give to God. That's just a human nature. So he said, you limit your debt. And when you limit your debt, it opens up that your giving to God becomes more freely. So that's what we need to understand. To give, it gives to be able to minimize the debt that we have. And at the very least, we should surely try to get out of debt and pay that debt as quick as possible. And then when you get to Romans 15, it tells us, Paul talks about the church in Rome, about the contributions they've been taking up in Jerusalem. And he talks about collection of money by the church was a picture of the unity that we talked about earlier. And I love this verse in Romans 15, in where it says concerning the contribution that Macedonia and Achaia has also been pleased to make the contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. That word contribution in the original language we said, kononoia, uh, it means community. So we are in a community that cares for one another. The picture is that the churches are coming together uh, with a collection.
collection, being able to make a contribution to a church in Jerusalem that are uh, struggling going through. So we're in a community with you. That's what we're trying to tell other believers, other churches. We're all one body in Christ, so we're in one community, and we should care for one another. Collection of money by the church is the picture of the unity that God has for the church to share with other believers that are going through. So this leads us to Philemon. And not a ton in Philemon. The whole book is about Philemon, who was a slave of Nicias, who ran away. And, and then Christ, uh, then came to Christ after he ran away. And after he met Paul, then Paul sent him back to his master. In Colossians, in the book of Colossians, not a ton of possession of scripture there either, but in Colossians, although this is warning against covetousness, see, you, when you deal with possessions, you have the, uh, uh, the, the propensity to fall into covetousness. When you get so much stuff, you make your stuff your God. So he's telling us in Philemon, is the power to limit, excuse me, Colossians, to limit our covetousness. In Colossians 3 and 5, Covetousness is what? Idolatry and strong worshiping things over God. That's what it tells us, ain't it? Worshiping things over God, that's what covetousness is. Money is either your idol or your tool. And we got to understand that money becomes an idol to us to worship or it becomes a tool for us to be able to do the things that God has commanded us to do. So it's one or the other. It's going to be either for us to worship it and look at it or it's worth us to use it to be able to advance the kingdom of God. A little bit on possessions in Ephesians, he said, do honest work with your own hands so that you may be able to have something to share with somebody in need. Ephesians 4th chapter, verses 28. See, there is this three ways to approach these things. And number one, we can steal to get things. See, there's always three ways to get things. You can steal to get things, you know, but not recommend it. Then number two, you can work to get things. And, 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 and that's not easy either. It's not everything. But what we really need to do, we need to work to get things so that we can give things. So you just don't need to not work. That, that's bad. Then you don't need to work because you're just getting. But what you need to have a mindset I am working so that I can be able to give things that God has blessed me with the ability to give. So what scripture tells us is that we can work to get things, but work to get things to give things. As long as we work to get things to give things, we are doing what God designed us to do. So we just don't work to get things. We work to get things to give things. Ephesians 5 and 5 says that we have seen it in Colossians. It's the covetousness, is the idolatrous. So everyone is sexually impure who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. That's what the book says. But to be greedy is to miss out on the kingdom too. Don't miss out on the kingdom of God because you're greedy. To be greedy is to miss out on all the blessings that God has for you and the promises that he has promised you. But you have to carry out your end. Uh, Philippians end. It, it, it's Philippians is it's got some good things. He says that I can do what? All things through Christ that strengthens me. See, contentment is found in Christ alone, regardless of how many possessions you have. You can have all of the possessions in the world, and you can still have that, that greed to get and get and get. So 
you got to have a certain amount of contentment somewhere in your life. See, this is what Paul is saying. In times of want, we must learn to be patient and learn to trust God. In times of wealth, we must learn humility and dependence on God. And regardless of whether we have want or whether we have wealth, Christ is sufficient to take care of all of our needs. He says he can do all things through Christ. Then you get to the end in verses of, of Philippians 4th chapter, and you see uh, the finances in context with praise to God. He said giving in the church brings glory to God. Brings, it brings glory to God because what he's doing is he's allowing us to be able to have something to give back to him. I just thank God that he's blessed us enough that we can have uh, resources to give. See, when you come into the pastoral uh, epistles that Paul has written, mostly we see in 1 Timothy here, is that he talks about women adorning themselves in, 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 in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, and, and apparel and worship should be modest, not costly. And, and attitude in worship should be humble and, and not drawing attention to oneself. You don't need to try to draw attention to someone else when you come into the house. Come in with the humility. Then you get in 1 Timothy 3, and you see the elders and deacons in the qualifications and leaders in the church and, and should honor God with their blessings. If God has blessed you, you need to honor God with your blessings. And that's a qualification for a leader in the church. And 2 Timothy 3 is warning about those who have a love of money, those lovers of money. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is talking about the care of widows and saying, first, a widow should be provided for by her family. And primary responsibility of a widow is her family. And then the family is not there to do what the family should do. That is falls on the church. It's the church's responsibility. If a family a widow does not have nobody to take care of, it's the church's responsibility to do that. And then he takes the steps a little bit deeper, and he says that the church should reflect the grace of Christ to the widow by giving to her, but she said the widow should reflect the goodness of Christ in the church. See, let the widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation of good work. 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10. If the widow is not following after Christ, then that changes the whole picture here in 1 Timothy 5. Then we get to 1 Timothy 6. And this is important a passage that back in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and passes. Let's pick it up in the middle of it. He says, Man, there is a great uh, gain in godliness with contentment, for we wrought nothing into the world, and we cannot take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those that desire to have rich to fall into temptation, into a snare, in many senseless and harmless desire to plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then through that craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here's the deal. The path to great gain, I love this. The path to great gain, there is great gain, be con uh, but be content with having your necessities. Yeah, the great gain, there's a path to it, but you need to be satisfied or content with your necessities. Godliness with contentment, Paul says, is what? 
great gain. He says that, well, what is contentment? Well, we have food and clothing and covering and those other things. And that's the picture of our necessities. Then second, be cautious with acquiring excess. Whenever you start to pursue more and more and more, be cautious because you're going to take nothing with you when you leave here. You're not going to take anything. We brought nothing into the world and we will not take anything out. So we need to be content. Take the contentment with you. And if you don't, stuff will take your contentment from you. The more you accumulate, the more you try to keep, the more you seek after pleasure, the more you get involved with excess, the more it fills your lives with stuff, and the more of the dull our senses to the being contentment with what God has already blessed us with. So we need to just stay away from this excess, this stuff. Paul said that you will miss God's purpose for your life if you just strive to get excess. Your excess is not intended for you to have more stuff. It's intended for you to accomplish the purpose that God has for your life. The path to total ruin, Paul says, is what? Is the love of money. And it's the root of all kinds of evil, he's telling us. The love of money, the desire for riches. And Paul, who is getting rich, fall into temptation. And those that lead uh, may plunge into ruin if you allow that to get to you. And that's serious stuff that need to be concerned about. Desire for riches may lead to a life of self-destruction and a life of self-mutilation if you're not careful. And that's just the desire for rich. He didn't tell you to get rich. Your desire for rich will cause you to have all those things. But what about is when you are rich, huh? And that's dangerous. Then the plan for rich people. When you look at the rest of 1 Timothy 6, chapter, verses 17 through 20, Paul tells us to flee self-indulgence. Don't trust in your riches. Don't be prideful and naughty and haughty. He said, flee self-centeredness. Uh, don't put your hope in uncertainty of riches. You start to love your things instead of loving God. And instead of put your hope in God. And he gives you good things for your enjoyment. In the key verse in 1 Timothy, God gives you every good thing to enjoy. And ain't nothing wrong with enjoying the good things of God, but we need to put it in the right perspective. And then uh, we got to be able to understand that good things for our enjoyment, that's what he gives us. But we need to enjoy them. Use those good things to be able to have others to enjoy too. Don't just enjoy your blessings on yourself. Enjoy your blessings to be able to enjoy it with somebody else. He says, be rich in good deeds, generous, and be willing to share what he's given you. Invest good things in yours and others' eternity. So that's the picture we have in 1 Timothy in 6. Now we got some miscellaneous notes that we're looking at. Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, joy supersedes our property, ain't it? He says that in, uh, the, in Hebrews in 13, he says, they joyfully accepted plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. See, that's the great verse. Contentment, Hebrews, contentment supersedes our possessions. Keep your life free from the love of money. 
and then content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you. So God tells us that in Hebrews 13 and 5, that he'll be there for us. So our stuff will leave, he'll be there for us. He'll never leave us, neither will he forsake us. First Peter. Peter, like Paul says, women should be modest. Women should be modest. Don't uh, buy expensive stuff and wear it in the community of faith. Peter saying, no elders should be, uh, should be honest with the way they use their money. Said Peter's saying, no. That's what he's saying, not no elder. He's saying, no, don't be that way. Elders should be honest with the way they use their money. Then in 2 Peter, he's saying, addressing false teachers, and he takes this uh, to another level. He said, greed is associated with dishonesty. Greed is, the, he said, in their greed, they were exploit you with false words. 2 Peter 2 and 3. Greed is associated with what this dishonesty. And then it's associated with what? Adultery. And they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable in sin. They entice unsteady souls. 2 Peter 2 and 14. There's danger. There is greed. And he says, woe unto them. That's what Jude says. Woe unto them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of the gain of Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. Jude 11, beware leaders who are greedy for financial gain. If they're always asking about money, I understand in ministry you need money, but if you're always asking about money, if you're always overindulging, if you're all, you need to be careful, believers, Beware of them that are always looking for financial gain. And then you get to John, first John. That's, that's a beautiful one, ain't it? He says, beware lust for pleasure and pride in possessions. You know, first John uh, 2, 15 and 17. He says, beware of the lust and the pride in your possessions. He said, reiterates that we are seen in James in 2, that if anyone in the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, he does, how does God, how does God's love abide in him? That's, he said that, how can you love God but hate your brother? You love God that you have never seen, but how can you love God that you've never seen, but to hate your brother that you've seen every day? He says, if anyone has goods and sees his brother in need, he chooses his heart against him. He does, uh, how does God's love abide in him? God's love compels action on the behalf of people that are in need. If I don't act when I see brothers and sisters that are in need, it's telling me in the Bible that I do not have the love of God in my heart. Uh, then third, the third John, the fifth through the eighth chapter talks about supportive hospitality. And what John is doing here is contending or commending guys for hosting Christians and supporting them, recognizing supportive hospitality. Remember, this is simple, a blessing, because we're going to go back to that when we talk about prosperity theology, 1 John and 2. He said, Beloved, I pray you that you may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. He said, Be in peace. I'll prosper you as you be also in good health. 
that you be in peace, that your soul prosper also. So other than John, Revelation and one, I want you to show you just a few things in Revelation and two churches at the end in the book, in the lesson of Smyrna. In the seven churches of Asia Minor, you see Smyrna and Laodicea. And one was yet spiritually poor, but the other one was spiritually rich. In Smyrna, it is possible to be spiritually poor, yet spiritually rich, yet impoverished, but they were what? Trust in God, and then Christ had commendation for them. On the other hand, the lesson of Laodicea, it is possible to be materially rich, but spiritually poor. You got uh, one church that is uh, spiritual, financially poor, but spiritually rich. But then you have Laodicea that is what? Materially rich, but spiritually poor. And Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's what he's telling the church. So you need to be uh, concerned about how you relate to what God has blessed you with. And then you get to the very end of the book, Revelation 18 and 19 talks about we have a profile of materialistic Babylon. And I would encourage you to go back and read the Revelation in this book because this whole book is a graphic imagery of the danger of, of, of materialism, our destiny of materialism because this is the whole picture of Babylon, a picture of the Roman Empire, picture of deeper things also, and is known as the idolatrous religion and filled with excessive luxury and excessive things. It's the power of the world and the pleasure of the world altogether. It's characterized by indulgent immorality. So the plea to God's people, in the middle of that, a voice from heaven pleads to God's people. He says, flee materialism. Huh, run. He said, come out of her, my people, and don't take part in her sin. God abhors this. He says, flee from it. Then the picture of God's judgment that uh, rains down riches ripped away from them in Revelation 18th chapter, verses 9 and 18. Riches ripped away from them, and the wealth laid waste. Everything that is rich and splendid uh, vanishes and never to be recovered. It's a... Uh, uh, Obliteration of materialism. And then you might expect to mourn of that, but no. Heaven rejoices when materialism is struck down. Ain't that something? The pleasure of God's people. When we see joy is found not in wealth, particularly in eternity. Not found in wealth. Joy eternal is found in worship in our relationship with God. I didn't include those verses there, but when you get into Revelation 21, when you see the start of the whole picture of the new heaven and the new earth, God's creation and the material world in harmony, in the end, Revelation 21 says, new heaven, new earth, all is in harmony again. Revelation 22 talks about what? A new river of life, a water of life, no more curses, no more sickness, no more sorrow. Heaven will be adorned with the things that we die for. Think about it. Heaven will be adorned with diamonds and gold and silver, the things that we die for down here on earth. Heaven, they'll be just paving stones. Think about it. We rush and we live down here to get everything that we can. But when we get to heaven, all of this stuff that we try to get, it'll be like rubble on the ground. It'll be paving stones. Don't lose your salvation because of stuff. 
Stuff will not get you into glory. If you want to spend eternity in heaven, it has to be with the good thing, the good things, the harmony between the things that God has blessed us with. So that's the picture that we have in the Revelation. And next week, we're going to come in and we're going to have a, uh, some conclusions. And then we get into our conclusion. We're going to have an overview of everything that we went through in this whole study. So we do thank God for you studying us from Genesis to Revelation, how it relates to, to, to the gospel and prosperity and the possessions that we have. Well, God can allow us to be blessed with so much. But so much can be a distraction if we don't put it in the proper perspective. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Then love your neighbor as yourself. That's what brings us into harmony. That's what allows us to share the many blessings that God has given us. When we love the Lord with all our heart, then love our fellow man as ourselves. You're not going to treat yourself bad. You're going to treat yourself good. So we are encouraging you tonight to look at this text, to understand that God blesses us, yes, but don't let our blessings become a curse. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. And that's why you have so much. You have so much so that somebody else can be able to reap all for the benefits of your life. Let your life be a living sacrifice. That's what the scripture says, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. God bless you tonight, and may heaven ever smile upon you. Catch us again next week. Again, we're going to get into our conclusions, hopefully get a, a little closing out on our study before we move into our next study period. But we do thank God for you joining us. We're excited about what God is doing. He's still blessing. Only thing we have to do is to be in alignment with his word and his purpose that he has for our life. Don't put stuff in the wrong perspective. Keep stuff in the right perspective. And when we do that, then God will be able to bless us. He'll bless us more when we learn to give more. When we learn to give more back to him, he gives more back to us. And it's not because we're saved or any different. It's just science. He says the more you give, the more you shall receive. It's science. It's math. I, I like what uh, he says. It's arithmetic, ain't it? It's arithmetic. The more you give, the more you shall receive. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. Let us bow. Lord, Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you just touch your dear servant. Continue to bless me. Continue to bless this ministry. Continue to bless ministers and teachers and preachers everywhere, pastors. And continue to help us to know that all God wants from us is our commitment, our commitment to him and our faith, believing that he is the son of God and God is our father and the Holy Spirit is our counselor. God bless you today and help us to be able to continue to do the work here. Pray for us here at Dalton of All Ministries. Pray for my wife's ministry, God Gifts Ministries, our cancer ministry. Pray for our business here at Alvinista Church Supply. We thank God for you joining us, and we hope that you have enjoyed our uh, class tonight, and hopefully you'll join us again on Sunday morning, uh, 9 o'clock for our Sunday school hour, then join us at 9.30 for our worship. But we pray that you will just continue to pray for us, and we'll pray for you. God bless you. Enjoy your evening, and may God continue to shine 
his many blessings in your life so that you, too, can be a help to somebody else. Be blessed.